Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. Dr. Ryan Yamka is back with me. We're going to debunk another myth. We like to debunk as many nutrition myths as we possibly can because the highest dollar item in the pet industry that anybody is selling or spending on is food. So there's a lot of myths out there and a lot of nonsense. We could say BS. We could say all kinds of rude words. But the fact is people are trying, people in the pet industry, in the pet food industry, are making efforts frequently to sell us new products. And I don't think they have evil in their heart, but I do think that they're, they've got their fingers crossed behind their back or whatever, whatever the signal used to be when we were little kids that we were telling a lie. Ryan, recently there was an article that came out in the Pet Industry News that there was a vegan cat diet. Now, we know cats are obligate carnivores, no kitty crack, no carbs, don't need fiber, desert animals, and this pro-veg, which I guess means in, I don't know, pro-vegetables, said that this vegan cat diet not only was okay, it was great. So when you saw that, I imagine you were a little shocked too, because we know for a proven fact that cats are obligate carnivores. They must eat meat, wet food, meat. So what did you think when you saw that? Did you, you must have had many thoughts and some of them unkind. 
I wouldn't say unkind. Uh, you know, as a uh, you know, nice level of skepticism, as as should be when anybody goes out there and, and makes um, you know overarching claims like that. And um, many people probably saw uh, the the topic come out um, in popular press, where you know the summary said, "Hey, uh, vegan cats." had X percent reduction in veterinary visits um, or medication use or assessment of being unwell. And they threw numbers in there. Um, what the popular press missed, which was a huge thing, and I highlighted it as I read the abstract, is that none of the reductions were statistically significant. Um, and that's why you see them use the word tend and stuff like that, which um, from a scientist standpoint, a nutritionist, properly trained, um, researcher, if we look at certain things when they're statistically significant, they have a p-value of less than 0.05. That means okay. statistic, statistically it's different. Now, having said that, biologically it might not be relevant, but statistically it is, right? And, yep. and so you got to look at On the paper. data as it counts. Yep. And then, you know, the purists will tell you that's all you look at the data for. But then after that, They'll say anywhere from a 0.06 to a 0.1 is a trend, right? Because, hey, it's kind of getting near statistically significant. <laughs> and, and, and then surely anything outside of that is, is what I call garbage. It's, it's noise. It's not significant. It doesn't mean anything. And in this case where they looked at the different things and they report 7.3% reduction in medication use, 14%, uh, 15 right? roughly, uh, reduction in progression to a therapeutic food, 54% reported, uh, you know, veterinary assessment being unwell for the meat eaters, right, and then so on and so forth. But again, if you look at the study and you read it, it says no reductions were statistically significant, which tells you, hey, they didn't see anything. Right. And then when you start looking at the data, and this is where it gets kind of funny and, and it tells me, yeah, that's great. You, you saw what you saw, but you're not going to see anything because, hey, guess what? There's not very many cats that are vegans out there. Um, and when and, and when they looked at um, and they act like, hey, they throw in the title, you know, guardians reported health outcomes in thirteen hundred sixty nine cats. Right after controlling for feline demographic factors, meaning, you know, weight, uh, age, and all that other crap, uh, and where they're located. Um, but out of that 1369, 1,242 were meat-based, and 127 were vegan-based. Um, which <laughs> has me laughing, because it, it's very lopsided, right? And even from that, you can't even interpret the results very well. But let's talk about that you know, 127 cats that are quote unquote vegan, right? A third of them were, were either indoor outdoor cats or outdoor cats. So they're now, eating, they're eating know, mice and, and lizards. I, hey, I don't know that, you know, you might see one stalking a wheat stalk or a, a corn <laughs> stalk. <laughs> Unlikely. I don't, I don't know. But I, you know, based off all the, all the papers I've read, uh, you know, you leave cats outside, stuff like that. They annihilate bird populations and stuff like that. So, and rodents. I uh, never, yep. And I never seen a study come out and say, hmm, you know what? My, my corn crop went down because <laughs> I, you know, let, let a bunch of cats out. Uh, and and I think, by the way, was this study in England? 
I have this feeling uh, it wasn't even U.S., but I bad on me yeah. that I didn't check. But in England, um, if you adopt a cat from the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, you have to sign a contract that you will never keep your cat solely indoors. And that's even in the middle of London, because a friend of mine from America who moved there became British and so forth and was a cat lover, she was actually the editor of the Cat Bible. She's a great gal. She had to sign in the middle of London a contract that said, okay, I'll let the cat out some part of every day, which is a very different attitude than America, which is sign a contract that says you will never let your cat out. But that's the the ideology, in at least in the UK, about owning a cat is that their quality of life requires them to have freedom and go outside and eat live things outdoors. So you obviously can't monitor what those hundred and something cats were eating. If they're outdoors, then they're definitely helping themselves to some meat, which is what they require. Well, and, and even more so is when you start diving in deeper to the data, they don't break down who's in what. And they found out, hey, guess what? Out of that 1369, 41% said they provided treats and snacks and scraps at least once daily. Well, hmm, how many of those were the vegan cats? Right? Exactly. And then, and then 13% of them uh, received dietary supplements for you know things like joint health. Well, I got news for you. If you're getting joint health supplements, Probably fish oil based, and that's not so not very vegan. vegan. And and so there's a lot of lot a lot a lot a lot of flaws in the paper. Those are just to name a few of them, but you know none of them were significant. And then they want to say and they make the claim, hey, you know what? There was one health factor that was statistically different. And and again, this is where I said, hey, it might be statistically different, but biologically, it doesn't mean squat. Because when you looked at it and it was one uh, disorder, it was kidney disease. Um, and the reason I say, hey, statistically different, but who cares? Uh, um, you had more cats in the meat group, right? Yes. 29 of them yes. had, had kidney disease. Hey, in the vegan, you had four cats out of whatever, 100 and whatever it was. Well, if you look at them as a percentage out of the meat eaters, that was only 3%. In the vegan cats, it was 4%, but yet they picked up a statistically different number because why 29 is different from 4. But as a percentage of population, actually the vegan cats had one percentage unit higher. But there's, um, but so there's another point. point in there, Ryan, which is what was the age of the cats? Every single cat, as they become senior and once they're senior, has kidney disease. Their kidneys begin to ossify. It's what happens. It doesn't matter how well they're looked after and what their diet is. It's what happens to aging cats. So if it turned out that in the much greater number of cats, there were a greater number of senior cats... They're going to have kidney disease no matter what they're eating, even if it's grilled mice, which would be probably the best food for them, or even raw mice for that matter. It wouldn't matter. So if you don't, if you don't tell people the truth that kidney disease comes with aging in cats, then it makes it sound like, ooh, a meat diet could be bad for them, and this vegan diet isn't bad for them, when it's patently absurd to be feeding an obligate carnivore a diet minus anything carnivorous. 
Well, and and it's funny you should say that because the vegan cats, on average, were two years younger. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. You see, you were the guy who read the thirty-four pages. I'm the hothead who reads the the title of the thing and goes, "This is ridiculous." Let me get Ryan. And then, of course, you dig into it and find out the fine-tuning of how ridiculous it is. But, I mean, these are the kinds of things that it's, – it's, it's what's so annoying about it is that the pro-veg group – I don't know them from a hole in the wall. Maybe there's some lovely vegan you know, people that love the idea of not eating uh, animal products. That's fine. They're more than entitled to live their life as they wish. You can't enforce that on a cat. We always say in the pet industry, those of us that like to speak the truth, if you want to have a vegan cat, call it a bunny rabbit, and then you have a vegan pet. You cannot feed a cat a vegan diet. You are harming the cat based on the actual animal living in your home. And, you know, there's something that's disturbing when I've been saying for years with a bunch of wonderful board-certified veterinarians, some some feline specialists, some board-certified internists, saying cats shouldn't be fed dry food. They shouldn't be fed what I call kitty crack, created to be addictive and not good for an obligate carnivore. And that's the uphill battle. I mean, I certainly have more than annoyed poked the bear of any number of companies that aren't involved in this show and who I don't disrespect, but they steer widely clear of me. They don't want that message to reach anyone that might be buying their stuff. But if you add to the fact of it being a dry processed carbohydrate food, and now you take out all the the animal protein, that's just wrong, people. And I, how did it get this much press? Why, why are the vegans so good at getting their message out about something that should be none of their business, what their cat eats? Shouldn't be their business. Uh- I mean, this obviously it got a PR campaign on it because yeah. this is the study. This is a study that you know. It yes, it's interesting, but yeah, I would argue this is another one that Plus One dropped the ball on by allowing it to go out. Um, but they might have allowed it to go out because um, the, the authors do recognize the study limitations on it, um, and 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 I say that very tongue in cheek. Because it's um, the study limitations literally killed us. I see them as fatal flaws. Um, if, if if I was the reviewer on this, I, I would have said that they were it was fatally flawed, and you know find another journal. And I've done that in the past to, to people that submit. But you know the, the first study limitation: our respondents are not fully representative of the cat owning population. Well, then how are you going to draw right. investment on that? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, both. Are, most of our participants were located in the UK or Europe. Well, then how are you going to draw global assumptions on that, right? Uh, our survey didn't inquire about nutritional formulation and compliance with FEDIAF and AFCO. Well, that's a problem <laughs> because if, if a bunch of people are feeding nutrient-deficient foods, it's going to bias some of your data, right? Yes. Um, number, number four, Furthermore, these diets were not fed exclusively, right? You can even That's confirm with horrible. me that they, they were pure, so naughty. pure vegans. That's right? really wrong. Yeah. Um, and then, and here's where you know I, I laugh because you hit the point earlier. Um, it is possible that some cats, especially those in the latter groups, may have supplemented their diets by hunting. <laughs> that's a, that's a nice call out as a limitation, right? 
They did great on the vegan cat diet because they supplemented it with the perfect diet for a cat. A rodent, a bird, a, a, a salamander, even a cricket. All those things are really good well, for cats because they're natural. And the thing is, is like the cats are obligate carnivores because of certain nutrients they require. Yep. Um, could, could I technically make them, quote unquote, a vegan? The, the, the answer would be yes, but I, I would have to do it a lot of crystalline supplements. Right. Yes. And then technically, is, is it truly a vegan food? No, it's a purified food. Right. Right. Uh, but there's there's certain things that um, like arachidonic acid, for example, only comes from animal fat with the exception of some fungal oil, which they use in, in the baby industry, like in baby formulas, stuff like that. You're not going to see that in the U.S. or anywhere because it's not approved for use. in cat Interesting. Food. So. So, yeah. I, I get the concept, but how are you going to hit the arachidonic acid requirements? You can't. Um, and that's the reality of it, right? And then the other side of it is is um, with all the work I've done, I've, I've published a couple papers on both dogs and cats, urine pH. I, I can tell you when you start cranking in a lot of plant uh, substances into cat foods, obviously specifically in dry foods, it gets a little more funkier because um, you start throwing mineral balance at it. That's whack. right. And in particular, in particular, especially with peas. Um, the only time I'll speak ill about peas, but you can balance for it. Um, it is they bring a high magnesium level for cats in there, and so I can literally take a dry food and turn a panel of cats into a maraca within a week. Right? You don't want to do that because right. you want to formulate for proper urine pH and make sure magnesium is below a certain threshold. Somebody skilled in the trade knows how to do that, but are these vegan food companies doing that? And the answer is probably no. I could tell you um, the cat foods that I've released and when I launched, um, every one of them went through a feline urine pH panel or they went through an algorithm I developed while I was at Hills um, because you know what causes uh, struvite and, and, and cats, right? It's really yes. easy. It's, you, make, you make a neutral pH, urine pH, and you have a bunch of magnesium in there, and you can shake them like maracas. Um, if you if you drop your pH into that six two six four range, which typically you're doing that with a lot of your sulfur amino acids in meat, right? Or you can supplement them, but usually palatability tanks because it gets kind of sulfury, like eggs um, for cat food. But that's how you drop your pH, and then obviously you keep magnesium in check. So you want to make sure you, you don't go super high in peas or whatever other. Um, guys that are contributing magnesium. You're amazing. You're so amazing. We've run out of time, but those of you who are veterinarians and vet techs who are listening, listen hard. You all know that Ryan Yamka has published more than a couple of papers. How about chapters in nutrition books? How about lots of papers? How about he's the decider about whether articles even get published? We are so lucky to have you here, Ryan. So important that people understand just the basics. And then when we get into this fine-tuning, some people listening go know exactly what you're talking about. And other people think, he clearly knows what he's talking about. I'm not going to make my cat a vegan, I promise. So we want that <laughs> promise from you folks. And Ryan will be back on another day, and we will debunk some more myths for you. Like that. Uh, Thanks for that. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for having him here. We have lots of other myths in our Thank pocket you. ready to debunk them for you. Thank you again, Ryan. Have a good one. 
I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com.